Hello, and welcome to Greenland, the podcast. You're listening to episode one. Today's special guest is Chas Lichardello from the ABC Australia show, Planet America. I'm Diana Elliott, and I'm a freelance writer from Melbourne, Australia. And I'm Donald Betts. I'm a former U.S. state senator from Kansas. We talk about hot topics relevant to Americans and Australians. What makes us different and what makes us similar. It's not the place, but a state of mind. Greenland. Here we are. No, finally, huh? <laughs> I can't believe it. Our first podcast. Our first podcast, our first episode. Yeah. You've been out with the double bass, joined yeah. a few a few numbers for the intro. Um, and who would have thunk that our very first episode we get a special guest star like Chaz Lichardello? I know from from uh, Planet America. <laughs> yeah. Yes, X the Chaser. Um, yeah. I don't know if you know, but he is most well one of his. Um, Calls to fame is that he was uh, he dressed up as Osama bin Laden. Oh, at a, an APEC um, summit. Did he almost get shot? I mean, what? Well, was he <laughs> he was pretty lucky to get away unscathed. Actually, I think he got sort of charged. Oh, um, did he? And he was with his chaser crew, this kind of satirical comedy um, crew that uh, had a show at the time called Chasers War and Everything, and. Um, they used to do all these kind of like subversive acts mm. of comedy and, um, yeah, he wanted to see – he jumped in a motorcade dressed as Osama bin Laden, I think it was 2007. Oh. Um, so the height of, you know – Chaz likes to push yeah. push the envelope a little bit. <laughs> I, he likes to test the establishment. Yeah, he does. I think we'll hear a little bit about that, you know, from what I, from what he said earlier, you know. Yeah. You know Pre pre getting on the show and stuff, uh, I think he has some some things to He's share got some with the stories. audience. Yeah. Oh my god! Um, but yeah, I'm just so happy that we're here to be doing this. I mean, I've long been interested in American politics. Um, our lovely mutual friend Jeff yeah. brought us together. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. Shout out to Jeff, <laughs> um, friend of the show, forever <laughs> friend of the show. Um, and you know, he sort of thought that you and I could do this, yeah. you know, and, and hats off to him because I must admit before we had our first chat, I was kind of like, oh, my God. I mean, it's one oh. thing to be interested in American politics, but um, it's another to, to sort of, you know, undertake something like this. But yes. here we are. And um, thank you to Derek at Castaway Studios. Oh, for Derek is awesome. He's, He's just us. awesome. If you're in the Melbourne area in Australia, you must give Derek a call. His name is Derek Myers. He's the producer. Give him a call at 04-117-28364 at castawaystudios.com.au. He's the man. He's the man. And set in your beautiful dulcet tones. Too. <laughs> oh, dear. So uh, – how do you want to do this? You want to, you know, do we want to introduce each other today, both of us today, or do we want to kind of spread it out? I think let's start with you. I think let's oh, start okay. with you because you've got those kind of the backstory that is a little bit more credible for this show. Um, but and I'm, also- from, I'm from Oz, living in Oz, but I'm not in Kansas anymore. Exactly. You are not in Kansas anymore, <laughs> which is a fantastic title for the show and uh, for the episode, I should say. And yeah, I think if we have a little deep dive into Donald's backstory, it would help our listeners understand kind of where you've come from and what what brought you to Australia. Mm-hmm. And I think that that helps to kind of colour in the lines a little bit and your perspectives on things. And I think, you know, if what, you know, the genesis of this podcast and kind of I suppose what we're both trying to achieve with it is to break down that really partisan. Yes you know, discourse that happens around politics, yeah. whether it's in Australia or America, but particularly America. Yeah. I mean, I love shows like Jimmy Dore. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he's just, I mean, he gets a bit ranty about Bernie Sanders. He loves him, but <laughs> he's just, I mean, he's so funny. And I sort of implore people if you have any interest in American politics to have a listen to that. It's not exactly um, neutral and but I think if we can come at this this podcast in Greenland, the idea behind Greenland was obviously Trump's 
musing at one point about buy, possibly buying it. And they said it's not for sale. <laughs> yeah, said it's not for sale. <laughs> but it's since become a kind of, for us, I suppose, a shorthand for just the absurdity of our times and, and, and a kind of like a metaphor for it. So we love Greenland, yes. the place. <laughs> yes. But this isn't going to be about that place. It's going to be about the kind the of- The mindset. The mindset, yes. Yeah. So let's get this over with so we can get straight to Chas. I'm looking forward to <laughs> what too. he has to All say. All right, let's delve into your backstory. Why did you get into politics initially? Well, you know, um, I didn't I didn't know later. I guess it's in my blood because later, uh, well, since the second grade, I'd been running for office and, and getting involved. But I didn't really... I didn't realize that my grandfather ran for the mayor of Las Vegas, you know, until I read his obituary. Hmm. But I guess before then, I was just actively involved from uh, from school days, from from the second grade on onward. I just participated as a sergeant at arms, a vice president of this, or the president of this law club or that. But uh, and then even in uh, in university. I ran for student body vice president and then became the first African-American student body president at the university in its 100-year history. Wow. So it was like um, in me. And then I, I majored in political science and history. But my aim was to always go to law school. I, I wanted to uh, be a lawyer, and, and that was my, my goal. So when I applied for uh, – to. When I applied to law school and I didn't score high enough on the law school admissions test, I felt defeated. But I thought, you know what, I'm going to take this political science degree and make it work. So one day I decided to walk into Democratic headquarters because the Democrats were the only ones that kind of uh, reached out to me particularly because I'm an African-American. So I guess the Republicans assumed that, oh, he is automatically a Democrat. And you have to understand in the, uh, in the, in the American, in the African-American community, most African-Americans vote Democrat. It's just one of the things that we do. But I went to a Republican university so if the Republicans had approached me, I probably would have walked into the Republican headquarters because all of my professors, with with the exception of a couple great mentors who were Democrats, were all Republicans. But I decided to walk into the Democratic headquarters, and uh, the executive director answered the door, and he said, hey, how can I help you? And I said, I want to run for office. He said, what office do you want to run for? I said, whatever's open. <laughs> <laughs> and it was at that time, uh, he said, okay, hold on, and we'll get back to you. And it, within three days, it just so happened that the gentleman uh, who c- currently held the representative seat for the 84th district, of which I lived, uh, decided to resign by fax. And it opened a seat, you know, so if you're going to run for an office, it's better to run in an open seat because it's difficult to win against an incumbent. Mm -hmm. So uh, there was an open seat in a three-way primary. I ran um, with very minimal name recognition, but I knocked on every door of that district. I must have ruined two or three pairs of shoes. And I I I, I had everything signed by petition. So I knocked door to door. Because uh, you know, leaving college, you don't you don't have much money to just be throwing out on mm. uh, registration fees to run for political office. So there's another option, and you can you can run by petition. Mm-hmm. So you get two three thousand signatures. You turn that in. That's equivalent to paying for um, registration. Ah. So I and what was your kind of platform that you were knocking on the doors about? I believe my first slogan was "Bets for the Future," and it was <laughs> nice. for healthcare. Uh, Prison reform, mm-hmm. economic development, and um, schools. And this was all in the state at the state level in Kansas. This was at the yeah. state level. So this was in the house mm-hmm. initially, the house. So um, I ran my heart out, and I raised money, and I learned how to campaign on the mm-hmm. grassroots level. And after uh, the pri- so the primary election came near. I mean, I can remember that day. I was just really ready to fall asleep. And the election results came in on on television, and I captured 47% of the vote in a three-way primary. So overwhelmingly, I I kind of slayed the other two. That's amazing. Um, And why do you think that was? I mean, do you you have a sense of what was behind that victory? Well, I think uh, a lot of it was strategy, but two, uh, for many of the constituency to see 
a young man, mm-hmm. and particularly a young African-American man mm-hmm. at the age of 22, running for political office, it was a sense of inspiration mm-hmm. and wow. You know, when you have when you hear so much about young men being murdered or uh, in gangs or selling drugs or in prison, this was a I, I think I was a breath of fresh air for many of those, you know, seniors and people who open those doors and sign those petitions, they said, you know what, you have and uh, you have my vote and put a yard sign in my yard. You know, yeah. they were full on supportive. Uh, and my grandmother and my grandfather, you know, they, they established a pretty good name in, in, the, in that area of Kansas. And my uncle was a uh, criminal attorney and uh, my aunt was, you know, very, very well-known people. Uh, the Betts name kind of carried a little bit of weight. But also the other opponents and and Tracy Rutledge and Olita Faust-Gudo, who eventually became a state representative after I went on to the Senate. And after I left the Senate, she took my Senate seat to mm-hmm. become uh, Senator Faust-Gudo. So it, it kind of worked out for for everyone. But mm-hmm. I, I think uh, initially, when I served in the House, uh, people were just excited, mm-hmm. you know, that there was a new uh, a, a new power base coming, and, yeah. and and we have young people getting involved in political office, which was refreshing. Mm-hmm. And you were the youngest state senator, is that correct? The youngest state senator in the history, and probably the youngest African American senator in all of America. Wow! Yeah, That's incredible. So, yeah, I, I, the I replaced the oldest senator. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, so the youngest senator replaced the oldest senator. And that and that seat. So it was uh, it was remarkable, but yep. I just knew I had to get right to work immediately. There mm-hmm. was no time to gloat in that kind of glory, mm-hmm. and no one really brought it up to my attention until legislative research said, "Hey, did you know you are the youngest senator in the state of Kansas?" I said, oh, okay. So there was no big, you know, hoorah about it. about it. You know, yeah. I just did the work. Yep. You know? And so when you got into your uh, your spot in the in the house, what was your main sort of priorities, I guess, to... Well, my first bill, uh, something that was very close to the heart of many Americans, and it was opposed by, uh, I believe he was the, um, he worked for the Secretary of State's office, Chris Kobach, who ran uh, a very controversial campaign uh, just recently for governor of the state of Kansas. He said that I was being weak on crime when I introduced Senate Bill 23, which is a bill, uh, it's... Senate Bill 123 was a, a bill that promoted rehabilitation instead of incarceration. Mm-hmm. And he touted the bill as being soft on crime. But I counteracted and said, no, this is not a soft on crime or a hard on crime bill. It's a smart on crime bill. Mm-hmm. And I gave a, a, a personal example at the well of the floor, of the House floor, and talked about how drugs had affected my family and many families in the state of Kansas. And I, 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 I took an approach to really win the hearts of those legislators to look deep into their districts and see how this substance and these substances are really ruining families. Mm-hmm. And to my surprise with, you know, as a Democrat in the Kansas legislature, we do not have the numbers to pass any legislation, but the bill passed overwhelmingly and it went over to the Senate and it passed the Senate overwhelmingly and the governor signed it into law. And now that bill is a model for many legislatures across America because it's bringing down the recidivism rate for those being incarcerated for uh, drug infractions. Wow, that's amazing. It is amazing. And is that due to the diversion into rehab programs. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because there was a war on drugs and what was happening, you had this three strikes rule. Mm -hmm. And after you had a a small bit of marijuana or uh, crack cocaine or whatever the drug was, you would, after the third time, you could sentence to life in prison, 20 years for a small quantity of of drugs. And that was a hard on crime bill that the Republican legislature under uh, Ronald Reagan had passed. Mm, That's the Joe Biden kind of controversy, isn't it? That's right. You know, so uh, that bill killed families. I mean, took fathers from from their children and, Mm. you know, created a a massive... uh, uh, 
population of single parent mothers raising these children alone. And, you know, it was just ridiculous. I remember a lady named Gloria, uh, maybe not mention her name, but uh, I worked really hard to get her released. Uh, she had um, she was incarcerated on the three strikes law. She had already served in 10 years in prison. Um, Gosh. And she when she was released from prison, she explained to me that she walked into the the, the bathroom and to wash her hands and there were no knobs. So she thought someone was playing tricks on her. <laughs> and she said that a lady next to her said, honey, just put your hands under the the uh, the tap. There's a sensor there. And she said it was like magic. <laughs> so she had been incarcerated for 10 years wow. and technology had escaped her. And imagine her trying to get a job into sort of reintegrating to community life if, you know, that's just, it'd just be an assault on the senses, wouldn't it? it uh, an assault on the senses. You know, she she uh, she said she drove up uh, to a gas station later on after she uh, her, her license were, was renewed and she sat waiting for the full service attendant to come and pump her fuel. Wow. And those days were gone. Yeah. You know, so it, it's just, it's just, it's just not good. I mean, mm. prison shouldn't be reserved for people with low level min, uh, misdemeanors, mm. what I would call a misdemeanor, uh, but rehabilitation for those people to help them understand that this substance is not good for you, you know, get some mm. help. And so you can be a better parent to your yeah. children. So just for the Australian listeners and myself, why is we often talk about, you know, you hear about American states talked about that that's blue or that's red or that's purple. So how would you define Kansas in those terms? Uh, Kansas is, um, we call it the rhino. So it, it will be a purple state. Okay. Uh, and what does purple mean? Is that is well, it a blend of blue it's a, and red? It's a blend of blue okay. and red. Uh, like a swing state, we'd call it here. Yeah, or red dog Democrats, where the red dog Democrats are more conservative Democrats. Mm -hmm. uh, you wouldn't in Kansas, you don't find a large population of liberal Democrats, which mm -hmm. would you know, you know, uh, like that statement I said, you know, of a, being a San Francisco liberal, you know, on the coast of California is very, a very, very liberal state. Like Australia, for the mm -hmm. most part, is very liberal. Um, and that's little L. Yeah, liberal. little L. Yep. Yeah, check that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Kansas, one thing about Kansas, Kansas has a Democratic governor. Mm -hmm. It is, and both houses of the legislature are dominated by Republicans. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's difficult for anything to get done unless we work together. And I, I've, from to, to give my state credit, we work together mm -hmm. for the benefit of the state of Kansas. Mm -hmm. And I can say that of my Republican colleagues, which are still really, really good friends of mine. Mm -hmm. And of course, my Democratic colleagues who, you know, we all work hard for the betterment of the people of Kansas. And I can truly say that about our state. Mm -hmm. And that's why I would say we're more purple than red, even though uh, by and large, we are a red state with the majority of the federal members of Congress uh, being Republicans. Mm -hmm. I think we have one Democrat now in the state of Kansas uh, that sits on the on the federal level. But for the most part, uh, it's more of a, you know, a blend. So this, this is kind of like a very awkward, but we're going to segue to how you came to Australia. Yeah. So can you go and give us a little bit of a feel as to how that happened? So when I was in the House, uh, I was nominated by my colleagues to uh, – participated in an exchange program called the American Council of Young Political Leaders to learn about the federal and state parliament systems of other countries. And my choice was Australia. Uh, I can I can remember when I was a little boy, I had this, uh, this plush toy. It was a kangaroo. And I slept with my little kangaroo every day. <laughs> I think my mother had to get rid of it because it just got so dirty and mangy that she just was like, you know what, we're going to get rid of this thing. But I can remember always being fascinated about Australia and, you know, that little land down under, that country, continent, island. You know, what was mm -hmm. it about? And these, you know, the the kangaroos, you know. And, and so I chose Australia. Mm -hmm. And when I arrived, uh, we toured the east coast of Australia, Brisbane, Canberra, uh, the um, Townsville. And then when I made it to Melbourne, I fell in love with Melbourne. Mm-hmm. 
And I think it was destined because then I fell in love with a woman in Melbourne. Yep. But she didn't know it yet. <laughs> <laughs> I just knew that she was the one. <laughs> so uh, I, uh, we kind of kept in touch. And over the five years back and forth, we I proposed to her. And then I flew to mm. Sri Lanka and asked her parents for a hand in marriage. And we were married in the States. And then the deal was um, that I would run for U.S. Congress. Mm-hmm. And then if I lost that election, I would move to... Australia. Mm-hmm. Where bag. your wife is from. Where my wife is from. Yeah. Had I won, she would have to pick up and move to Washington, D.C. with mm-hmm. me. But I lost the election and I moved. I kept my promise. And I had to start all over again. And then eventually I um, helped build a business and we started our family. And I if, decided to attend law school and I Recently completed the Priestley 11 and a JD degree at Monash University Law Chambers. And I'll be finishing and will achieve my ultimate dream of becoming a lawyer this month. So That's uh, it's, 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 been a, it's been a ride. It's been a challenge, but it's been a blessing. Mm-hmm. It, really, it really has been a blessing for me. Uh, so now I'm a, I'm a legal service ex- executive at Norton Rose Fulbright, which is, which is awesome. Mm. Joe Hockey. Mm. Uh, so currently the Australian ambassador to the US, about to resign that post or retire from that post mm. in January. He's recently um, given an address in New York. Um, and during that sort of speech, he talked about some of the similarities and differences between Australians and Americans, which I found quite interesting. And I think you'd shared it on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And I thought that's kind of nice because this is, this is really – the guts of Greenland and our podcast in many respects. But he basically says, um, and I quote, this nation, being America, innovates better than any other country, not only in the world but in history. So he thinks America is a, is a great innovator. Um, and failure happens here in the United States but it's not when it's not the end when you fail, it's just the beginning. You can dust off and start again. Mm. And that, I think, is for me one of the most attractive qualities of Americans. You know, I've travelled to America a couple of times and one of the the sort of the most poignant things I think I've ever seen in relation to the whole um, pre-GFC build-up was a, a documentary. I can't remember if it was on Four Corners but it was on an Australian um, uh, channel about – the subprime crisis in America, mm-hmm. and they profiled um, people that had been living in Cleveland, Ohio, which had mm-hmm. sort of borne the brunt of, of the subprime crisis, and people had literally just abandoned their homes because they could no longer afford the repayments, um, and the banks had taken steps to repossess those homes, and they were just pretty much standing derelict and waiting mm-hmm. to be ransacked for piping and God knows what else. Like it was just this most desolate picture and the people that had left those homes had gone to live in their cars in kind of Walmart car parks and things you know it was just it was just this kind of inconceivable slide from just normal suburbia into complete sort of homelessness um, by people that would otherwise you know just seem to be ordinary folk I guess and what struck me when they were interviewing these people was that you know they were trotting off to their minimum wage jobs and coming back to their cars at night. And mm-hmm. so many of them just still had this unwavering belief that they would get back what they, they'd they lost, mm-hmm. you know, that that American dream was still very much alive for them. And I think that's when I kind of thought, gee, I, I don't know, Australians are so um, – we have a social safety net. I think that's part of it too that – it's, it's hard to imagine somebody being in that situation and not receiving some government help, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, and to have that just fortitude that they had that, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get back what I lost or I'm going to be better. Definitely. As, you know, and it's just mm. it was so – it was inspiring and it was also just quite sad because <laughs> I just thought, wow, do you really think – is that, is that going to be the reality? I don't know. But, yeah, it was um, – I think the resilience of Americans, and I can see what Joe Hockey's referring to there. Mm. Um, yeah, Joe Hockey, um, 
I, I I appreciated his remarks because they were they were real and mm. they were they were a real assessment as as to what he saw out of his eyes and it yeah. wasn't something political it was from an outsider looking in and he said uh, your banking system is really hard work <laughs> and I don't understand your healthcare system and mm. those were those were true clear words because it's the truth. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, for the American listeners, Australians' minimum wage is maybe $21, $22 now, $23 an hour. Whereas in America, from the state of Kansas, when I left, it was still at $2.26 for servers. Yeah, that's incredible. Right? Because it's inconceivable it, to me. Yeah, they're depending on their tips. Yeah. You know? So yeah. The, the, the hourly wage is, is very low. I mean, that's slave wages yeah. at $2.26. 65 cent uh i'm sure it's gone up and it's changed because it was an embarrassing mark on the state but uh you're right and joe hockey is right about americans having that ability to fail forward and say you yeah. know what i'm not going to let this get me down i have one life i got to make the best of it mm. this is just a season in my life i have to get through it mm. and once we get through this season we'll be bigger and better yeah. so if you we have that that attitude because we have to have it because yep. you can't depend on uh, social services like Centerlink. Um, mm. It's it's just not there. It's just not that 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 type of social uh, safety net is non-existent in America. Mm. And you find that there are many single parents working two jobs, you know, because they can't get full-time work because if you, if you if they're given full-time work, then the company has to pay for health care benefits and the company can't afford to pay for health care benefits. So they go off and work two jobs, two part-time jobs. And it's just ridiculous uh, <laughs> in that, in that regard. But America is the land that where you can, Really, really make something of yourself where doctors and lawyers are making multi-millions of dollars in their mm. professions and the land of, of uh, new developments and startups and tech. I mean, mm. it's, it's really innovative. But there are, like here in Australia, there are some things that we can change and do better. But America, uh, like Joe Hockey mentioned, the infrastructure and all of these things, we kind of need a new a, a revamp. And it's going to take all of us, um, uh, all of the leaders in America, to really do something significant and put those dollars and resources behind uh, building a nation that's equipped to manage the future generations of Americans. Uh, and I appreciate Australia being a little bit behind. Everyone said, oh, Australia is so slow. It's so I love that because mm -hmm. Australia sits back and can have a look at what the rest of the world is doing mm -hmm. and can take that and repair it and make it so that it works. Mm -hmm. Not at the bleeding generation. edge, as it were. Not at the bleeding yeah. edge. And, and Australia is okay with that. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. Mm. That's why I'm an Australian now. You know, I'm a, I'm a dual citizen, but <laughs> I love Australia too. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and we love having you here. Tom. Well, thank you, thank you, Diane. <laughs> what about? I mean, what what's your fascination with with America? I, you know, oh, look, I've always, I think, you know, growing up, we, you know, in the same way, you had your kangaroo that you sort of nuzzled it in <laughs> in bed. I was always um, America for me was this sort of romantic kind of dream dreamland. I mean, a lot of our TV shows back then, when I was a young lady, were from America. You're still or a Britain. young lady. You're still a young lady. <laughs> Come on. Um, and you know, I think we grew up on sort of American um, sitcoms and American um, shows, uh, and it depicted a life that was free, mm. you know, and, and we're certainly free in Australia and I never felt that I wasn't, but it was a different, you know, that kind of confidence and, and that boldness was there mm. in, in America. And certainly when I had the opportunity to, to visit America for the first time, um, th through a work, uh, trip, it was, it was just amazing. <laughs> I mean, I remember we were, <laughs> this was, I think 2000 and the dot-com boom was sort of happening. And we went to a restaurant, I think there was about six of us on this trip, and we went to a restaurant in San Francisco, all sort of done up to the nines in our kind of power suits and things, <laughs> thinking that we looked really, you know, quite the part. And 
the whole restaurant kind of turned and looked at us as though we were just... Too much. Well, just that we'd come from sort of like 10 years previously because they were all in their smart casual kind of Mm. gear and... Yeah, I think then we realised, well, we aren't at the bleeding edge of things, are we? We are actually quite twee and antiquated in some of our, even our fashion sense at that time. So we had a little laugh about it. But I, yeah, you know, I've recently travelled to New York a few times and I just, you know, I get tingles when I'm there. I just just think the people are so open Mm -hmm. and people look at you in the eyes, they walk down the street Mm -hmm. and sort of say good morning and smile. They smile and it and and you know the service over there is just you know impeccable and maybe it is because of the tips. But it's just Australia has got a lot to learn, I think. About you got me service. missing America. That, yeah. you, you just really got me wanting to get on an airplane <laughs> and head back to the north. <laughs> but yes, Australia, I st- of course, I love Australia, my home as well. And um, I do think that it's interesting, and we'll talk to Chaz about this, about why so many Australians, not just me, are interested in following what's happening in the American political um, mm cycle and why shows like Planet America, which is weekly now um, on the ABC in Australia, has such a following because there's just this insatiable appetite in Australia in some quarters. I wouldn't say everyone's interested in it, but for um, the spectacle of what's happening in America. And it is a contest of ideas. It's not just about, you know, the Trumps and the Mm -hmm. kind of the personalities, but it is around, you know, primal kind of stuff like healthcare yes. and gun control. Like the institution. In, the institution, yeah. yeah. It's, it's democracy at work, whereas in Australia it does feel, you know, more beige mm. and there's not that much of a difference between the two political parties. Mm. And so therefore people are less vested in what's going on. We're joined by our special guest, Chaz Lichardello uh, from Planet America. Welcome, Chaz. Thank you very much. It is great to be on your initial podcast. I imagine there's probably two to three times as many viewers and listeners to your podcast right now than there are on News 24. We thought it'd be great to get you on because Planet America has got such a, a following now and kind of when I looked up to do a bit of research, I thought, oh, my God, it's starting in 2012. Mm-hmm. I didn't think it for some reason. I think because I started watching it probably twenty, you know, in the twenty sixteen mm-hmm. election lead up. Mm. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. Well, we're only on for a year in twenty twelve. We're on. Uh, we're on for the second half of twenty twelve and the first half of twenty thirteen. Okay. And then, and then the, the ABC decided, even though in twenty thirteen we were actually rating quite well, the ABC decided it was very difficult to justify to a Senate Estimates Committee having an, a, a permanent American politics show on an Australian news channel. So they, uh, they, so they, they stopped it, but then they brought it back in 2016, and that's when you probably heard of it then. Yeah. Was, Chaz, was that because the Fox News ratings were so high that, you know, they thought, oh, well, why not? Let's jump on this I thing. Think, <laughs> I, think, I think it was easy enough to justify an election year. Yeah. It, it was hard to justify a non-election year, but then – when it was funny because, yeah, in 2016, it was only supposed to be the same thing again, just for the election, and that's it. But then I remember when John and I were, uh, were co hosting the ABC's election coverage on election day. Uh, literally, <laughs> the, moment, the moment John said, John, John called it for, for Trump, we, we just sort of looked at each other and said, Well, that's, that was unexpected. And then the ABC news director ran on set during the ad break and said, you guys up for, for next year? Oh <laughs> okay, sure. Trump is good, Trump is <laughs> good for business. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> so yeah, so we, owe, we owe him three years of employment. <laughs> Why did you, what was your sort of, um, what was the genesis for you and John to get involved in this, Chaz? Like have you been a fan of, sort of what's going on in America before all this or what's your particular? Well, actually, I didn't, I didn't know anything about John Barron before we started. Mm-hmm. The person who knew about John Barron and knew about me was Julian Morrow from The Chaser, yep. who is John Barron's old friend. And uh, he, Julian, had 
put up with me, put up with listening to me talking about American politics endlessly for the entire time of The Chaser. Even when we were making Australian political shows, I never took any interest in Australian politics. I only spoke about American politics the whole time. And uh, Jules always thought that uh, there was a TV show in that. And he also, I believe, was sick of hearing John Barron talk about American politics at his dinner parties. So he decided to put the two of us together. And uh, thankfully, that's the one decision Jules has made in his entire career actually came off. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that sort of that brings me to the question as to why you think that so many Australians, and I put of put myself in this category too, why we're sort of so apathetic about the Australian political kind of affairs and discourse, and and kind of interested in what's going on in America. Well, I I can't speak for anyone else, but speaking for myself, I could, as someone who's been obsessed with American politics now since, wow, since the mid nineties. So that's a long time. The Clinton, um, the Clinton years. Yeah, the Clinton years. I like. I, I basically I started to take an interest in the in the early Clinton years, and I became radicalized for life by the impeachment. <laughs> <laughs> During that process, I just became obsessed with watching Fox News all day and all night, and uh, the, uh, it was just wild. I just didn't know how to process it, and uh, yeah, and then the, then the blogs started soon after that, and so I could then basically inhale American politics 24 hours a day on the internet and, uh, and I haven't looked back. The answer to your question, though, is that for me, American politics is just, it's the ultimate entertainment experience because mm. everything is more extreme. Yep. The good guys are better. The bad guys are worse. The mm. smart guys are smarter. The dumb guys are dumber. Everything <laughs> is more extreme. Everything. Yeah. And not only is everything more extreme, which makes it interesting, but it's just so complicated. You've got the federal level, and there's three different parts of the federal level, all with their own politics. You've got the state level. You've got the local level. You've got the bureaucracy. All of them have their own rules and their own complications. I, I've been, honestly, I've been reading 16, 17 hours a day of this stuff for the last 25 years, and I'm still learning heaps every single day. It's just a bottomless pit. It's like the ultimate reality TV show as far as the intellectual challenge goes and in terms of entertainment. And also, it's consequential. In Australia, half the policy decisions, you go, well, this is going to affect three people. But in America, it doesn't just affect hundreds of millions of people, but it affects the whole world. So, yeah, for me, that's why it's so addictive. Chaz, I find, uh, I find the, the Australian system complicated. I can I can I can I can get with the the U.S. system because you have your your city, your county, your you know maybe uh, state, federal. I, I get that, but you have all these councils everywhere. I mean, you you drive two uh, Ks and you're into a new council. You know, like how many mayors are there in Victoria? That is true. I, 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 I can help you understand the Australian system. Please, if you just look at all those councils. All you need to do is just think to yourself, none of these matter. Then it's a lot easier to understand. <laughs> so what, what matters? What, what, what matters? In, in Australia, in Australia you, can, you restrict yourself to federal and state. I wouldn't okay. be too worried about the garbage collectors, which is what the local council is. <laughs> it's interesting, though. It's interesting, though, when I, when I speak to American politicians. I love I love comparing notes between Australian politics and American politics because I think Australia as a country is probably the closest country in the world to America. Yeah. I, I think I don't, I don't think there's any other – or maybe Canada, I guess. But at the same time, there's big differences as well. And in yeah. some areas, Australia is further down the road than America and in some areas, Australia is much, much further up the road than America. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting the way they interact with each other. Like watching right now the – the debates in America about immigration. These are debates that Australians are very mm. familiar with over the last 25 years. We've heard all the arguments before that the Trump administration comes up with. They were arguments that we heard 20 years ago. And it's it's interesting when you see these things happening. And yeah, and we're watching as well with ranked choice voting slowly spreading around America, mm. which is obviously a system that's Australian. And uh, there's, there's a lot of weird interactions between Australian politics and American politics, I find. <laughs> You got it. You got it. 
yeah. Is there anything, Chaz, that you kind of particularly particularly admire about the the US political system or its participants um, that you wish we had in Australia? I mean, putting aside the theatrics of it all, but do you think that's that- interesting? I, I would, I would, I can certainly, I can certainly point to one or two things I'd go the other way on. Like, mm-hmm. there's a few. I, I, I wish, for instance, I think America would have so much less heartache if they had a federal bureaucracy in charge of their elections in the way that Australia does. Like so many of the problems in American elections revolve around the fact that it's administered by by not just states but partisan bodies mm. in, in the states. Yeah, which which if they could if they could somehow get over that, I think that I think they would solve a lot of problems. But I, I, I can't see that happening anytime soon. But going the other way, going from America to Australia, I would say, well, number one, I love how democratic America is. I love mm. how much it's voted on. I love that when you look at an electoral ballot in America, you're voting for twenty five positions. It's not <laughs> not just the federal government or the like. You're voting for the dog catcher. You're voting for everyone. <laughs> the judge, the that. judges, and the sheriff, and everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I think that's fantastic. And I know that means everything becomes becomes more political, mm. but that's okay. I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not against politicisation. Like a, mm. democracy is politicisation and that's okay. I, I like people having some feeling of control over their civility. I, I, the, 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 sorry, the, having some sense of control over their, their, their well, their, their, not just their country, but their local area as well. Yeah. I, I also love, I like how much, I mean, it does lead to problems, but I love how much Americans care about politics. Mm. There's a real apathy in Australia. Yeah. And I, I'm part of the apathy. I don't give a stuff about Australian <laughs> politics. But Americans really, really care. I know that's not all Americans. I know there's lots of Americans who don't care as well, but it's a smaller number than is in Australia. In Australia, it must be, what, 90% just mm. don't give a stuff. Mm. But you but. You know, but 90% go out and vote, right? I mean, it's compulsory. <laughs> yeah, well, so it's like, you know, it's, you know, do Australians care about voting or is it that they don't want to get no. the fine? And can you tell me, can you talk yeah. to our listeners a little bit about the fine if you don't vote? I mean, because it's important for, for American listeners to hear this. I I can tell you all about this because I've gone all the way. And the, when I say I've gone all the way, I'm, I've got a bit of a libertarian streak in me, Donald. But the, 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 this is part of why I like America as well. I like freedom. And, I like <laughs> and, so, and so when someone tells me not to do something, I have a tendency to just do it and just see what happens. And uh, so I'm a bit contrarian like that. And so, I, I, and so one day, I, back when I was about 21, I didn't vote. And just to see what would happen. What are they going to do? They're going to throw me in jail for not voting? Uh, no, they don't. This is what they do. Let me, let me talk you through the process. The okay. first thing they do is they, is they send you a letter saying, hey, turns out you didn't vote. Do you have a reason why you didn't vote? And yeah, if you just give an excuse, just make up anything, that's fine. You get away with it. No problems. Me personally? I, did, I decided to not reply, just to see what they do. Then they sent me another letter. I can't help noticing that you haven't replied to us asking why you didn't vote. Do you have a reason why you didn't vote? No reply. <laughs> then, they, then they send you the fine. And the fine was, at that point in time, I think from memory it was $59. It wasn't much. It's a bit more now, I think, but not a huge amount. They're not trying to bankrupt you. Was that for but postage? The, uh, was that for the postage of the, you know, the letters that they were sending you? That- <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think let's, let's, let's include 40 cents for the postage. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, $59.40. Yeah, and, so, and once again, I didn't pay the fine. What are they going to do? So then uh, they send you a reminder notice telling you that uh, that you owe them that $59. I didn't reply. <laughs> then uh, they sent you a bigger fine because they sent it to a debt collection agency. And they and what happens then is uh, you, uh, I think it was a $90 fine then because you pay interest because of the debt collection agency being involved. I didn't respond. Uh, so then... I thought, well, where's this going? What are they going to do? And the answer is, this is quite clever, actually. This is what they do. Eventually, after two and a half years of me not replying, what they did was they put a freeze on my driver's license. Oh. Wow. That's what what they did. And that's their way of getting you to respond. They say, say, and, and when I say they put a freeze on my driver's license, I don't mean 
it didn't work anymore. I meant when I tried to renew my driver's license, they said, you're not allowed to renew your driver's license wow. until you take care of wow. your, your, your fine. So that's the way they get your attention. Unfortunately for them, I was only on my L's and I walk everywhere. So I didn't, <laughs> I didn't really care when they, when they froze my driver's license and I just did nothing. And in the end, they just gave up. So it doesn't wow. really matter that much. Oh, wow. I'm yeah. pretty surprised by that. that. Most, people aren't, most people aren't as stubborn as I am. No. To be <laughs> Mate, I, I think I've forgotten to vote. Well, not forgotten, but there was some reason I couldn't vote once and I got the letter and it was so polite. Yeah. And as you said, you yeah. can kind of give any excuse in the world, like, you know, I had a hair appointment or something, <laughs> as long as you do them the courtesy of replying. So do you yeah. have your driver's license now, Chaz, or, or is it is it still No, something? I don't. I, don't. <laughs> I, I, you're I still don't. You're still in the fight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of these days, I will, I will pay that fine off. One of these days. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm still just curious. It's, it, it's an interesting one, though, because, yeah, because in Australia, obviously they don't they don't push the compulsory voting too hard. As, mm. I, as I just demonstrated, they don't push it too hard. <laughs> but they just rely on Australians generally being apathetic and not wanting to be bothered with that kind of stuff to just mm. turn up. And also, it, it's hilarious for your American listeners. In Australia... Half the reason people attempt to vote is because they get free sausage rolls. They get free hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> they, 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 they give you a sausage sizzle. That's what we call them in Australia. With they the give trimmings. you a sausage sizzle when, when you turn up the vote. That's the reason they do it. Yeah. Anyway, but, um, <laughs> but the net result of this is that even though Australians don't really care about politics much and they're not pushing the voting all that hard, you end up with, what, 85 90% people turning up to vote generally. Yeah. And the result of that, it actually changes the whole election because when you have yeah you know, 50% of people who don't give a shit aren't really paying attention but are going to turn up to vote there's a real incentive to not campaign negatively mm. because they will notice the negative ads they won't notice if, you, if they won't notice your policies they won't notice anything that really matters but if you run annoying ads they will notice that and then they'll vote against you and so for that reason Australian political campaigns are much less nasty than American political cams and pans are. And I'm sure it's completely about compulsory voting. Yeah, I mean, uh, when I ran, every time I ran for office, it was a, uh, it was, it was the hardest thing you do because the public is just so, you know, uh, critical. And the, 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 the ads, you don't know what, you're going to hear about yourself the, in the ne the next morning, or what? What if you're going to be on the front page of the paper, or what nasty television ad they're going to, you know, drag you and your family through? It is terrible. Mm -hmm. I mean, from the politician's standpoint, <laughs> you know, and that's and that's why uh, for and I guess that's why it's so dramatic because members of the House run every two years, and it's it's like you never stop running. Uh, you're constantly on campaign. You're constantly paranoid and you're constantly raising millions of dollars and it's just like unbelievable but it's, i guess it's just the thrill you know and i don't know why so many politicians continue to put themselves through that uh, as i probably would have if i continue if i won the u.s congressional race but it's 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 sickening at times but it is entertaining <laughs> this show is i'll tell you something else that's great about america that australia could do with which is i just just thinking about now mm -hmm. one thing america as someone who follows this pretty closely that america does better than anyone is data in mm -hmm. terms of in terms of the data of government like the the you go to a website of any government department and it is filled with information about what that government department does mm -hmm. all the stats all the statistics all the statistics or you can you can assess their, how successful their policies are from the statistics. It's it's there in front of you. Whereas in Australia, it's impossible to find data on what the government does. It's really, really hard. And so as a result of that, you have this very, very rich political, uh, recent political tradition in America of local journalism and blogging of experts, you know, academics going uh, just in their little corner of the web analyzing government policy and it's really sophisticated stuff and they can do that because the statistics are there for them to use it's freely available to the public yeah. whereas in australia good luck because it's either secret or not collected at all and the public just doesn't know which is a real shame i think yeah as an african-american i'm i googled you know how many african-americans living in australia 
and you don't find anything. I'm like, oh, okay, where where are you, peeps? What's what's going on? But I mean, and then you almost have to search, you know, and find out what you know. What are the statistics? How many um, how many women are in this area or uh, of or field of, of of business? How many? You know, it's just, it's just very difficult to compile the yeah. the information and find you know details of statistics. You're correct with that. I mean, I, in America, you you can find. You know, I, I don't know if it's the it's because of the census or because we we run out three or four pairs of shoes on the campaign trail collecting on this data when we're knocking on doors. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but they somehow get it right. And you, you, you're right yeah. about that. Yeah, at least uh, I think I think American politicians are, and American governments are much more accountable to the populace than Australians are. Like I, I don't think I don't think anyone knows what the Australian government does, to be honest, in detail, mm. all that their bureaucracy does. And that's as a shame if you care about democracy, and I do. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm from the state of Kansas, and um, I was running for when I was running for Congress. My opponent, he's a, you know a conservative Republican, and on the radio, everyone said, "Bets, did you hear what's going on on the radio? You hear what they're saying about you?" I said, "No, what are they saying? They're calling you a San Francisco Nancy Pelosi liberal." <laughs> And I'm like, no, whoa. I mean, and that's that will kill you in the state of Kansas. A San Francisco liberal? What does that mean? <laughs> I'm like, what? I mean, they kill. So, if it, it, you know, they look at your voting record if, and they rate you. You know, if you if you vote against the NRA, they'll give you a D yeah. or an F. And you will have people out of the woodwork knocking on your door, trying to find you. The, and, you know, coming to your office and sending threatening letters and, you know, holding up signs and protesting just you. Not just the party, but they, they pick you out. And uh, yeah. I can remember the the uh, the gay marriage amendment. I had pastors coming to knock on my door and try to lobby me. My door at home, you know, at least Jeez. meet me in the wow. legislature. But that's how um, that's how passionate Ameri- yeah. the American public is about issues. And that's why when you raise a wedge issue, you see, you know a new legislature the next year because the the previous legislature voted against an amendment. You know, people are losing their political careers on amendments because of the wedge Mm. issues. Well, Chaz, I hope you come back. It, it was just a joy talking to you. I hope you'll join us on, on episode three or four, or one of them coming up. You know, surely, surely there's much more we can discuss about this whole topic of American politics. I can forever, anytime. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank so you much. so much, Chaz. We really appreciate it. so much for listening to Greenland. If you'd like to become a Greenlander, visit greenlandthepodcast.com and follow the links to subscribe. We'd love it if you could leave us a review on your chosen podcast listening app so that we may, like the curdling milk, rise to the top of the heap. 